0: Part of the Press Play Podcast Network. Chapter 14, Redemption Song, a conversation with Lester Young. Lester Young grew up a native of Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. He was a typical kid with a typical family, but as he grew older, Lester developed a chip on his shoulder, and that chip, like most chips, developed into something of a self-destructive nature. As he grew into a teenager like most teenagers, he entered a rebellious phase, but the rebellious phase would prove to be more destructive than I imagine he knew it would become. At the age of 16, he lost his mom suddenly. It was losing his mom at such a critical age in his life that he began down a path that for him would have the most unfortunate of consequences. He was angry and militant and desperately needed someone who loved him enough to guide and direct him. He needed his future self, but this isn't that type of story. After several run-ins with the law, Lester had certainly made a name for himself, although not for anything good. Lester was living the life he thought he was supposed to be living. Well, at least, or so he thought. Then after a drug dispute gone horribly wrong, Lester found himself standing before a judge. A man was dead, and now Lester was about to face serious consequences. At the age of 19, Lester was sentenced to life in prison. And that is where our story starts. From the Hyman blog and the Press Play Podcast Network, I'm J.D. Hyman. As a black man living here in America, I am living proof that while all men were created equal, not all men are equal. We're here to dig into the American political system, explore and unearth experiences from the human condition, and be a catalyst for some hard conversations that need to be had, conversations that demand to be had. No matter what brought you here, I'm glad you came. Once again, my name is JD and this is the Hyman Podcast. Part one, The Path to Redemption. Lester's story resonates with me on a deep level. I'm not sure why, but it does. I saw an article he'd recently written and it compelled me to reach out to him. And to my surprise, he answered. He started by telling me his story in his own words.
1: My story starts, um, I I tell people that my story starts way before the incarceration component. Uh, Many people see that when I post on social media, or I share in, in some form of workshop or something like that, that I was sentenced to life in prison at the age of 19 years old. Many people just see that part of my life and not understanding that just like, you know, familiar with the iceberg effect. We also, some oftentimes we see just a tip of the iceberg and we never really take the time to do a deeper dive into understanding what what made this particular person do or act a certain way. So.
0: When you look back at the grand expanse of his life and everything he's been through, it all comes back to that one critical moment in his life, when his mom passed away.
1: 16 years old, um... I lost my mom's. I lost my mom, so I lost my mom at, a, at a period in my life where I needed my mom. Just like every young kid, you you were attached to your mother. I was attached to my mother, uh, came home one day after school a little rebellious, um, didn't wanted to wash the dishes this particular day that my mom request asked me to do it. I just stormed out of the house, wanted to go play with my friends, um, came back into the house. Um, my mom was kind of upset that I was very disrespectful. She said, I'm going to tell your father. I came, I, I washed the dishes very stubbornly. I washed it, uh, got something to eat and went in my room, played some music and went to sleep not realizing that my mom was really sick. she never really verbalized or showed any sign that she was really sick. We didn't know that, you know? So the next morning I woke up, my dad woke me up, disciplined me, of course. And then he uh, he asked that if I could stay home, he was like, you need to stay home with your moms. And I was like, really, again, reluctant to do it. So he said, I'm gonna let your sister do it. My sister, uh, she chose to stay home that particular day, Um, three hours later. I got a call. One of my cousins came to pick me up from school and told me uh, as we were walking into the parking lot that my mom has passed away.
0: One thing that comes out of trauma is coping. Many of us are afforded time and space to cope in healthy ways. Lester wasn't. And while that isn't an excuse to his actions, it does explain his behavior and provide context to the life he lived. But it was living this life of a rebel without a cause that landed him in prison the first time.
1: Right, so that was like for me, was that traumatic moment in my life where again I did not learn how to process guilt, um, and I had this belief for from about for maybe about eight to ten years, I had this belief, this narrative that was playing in my head that my mom died upset with me, and that was the thing that shifted for me from so sixteen to set four months after her passing, I remember getting arrested in high school for possession of crack cocaine with intent to distribute. Uh,
0: Unfortunately, Lester wasn't given the tools he needed to actually change his life around. And now he found himself in an even worse situation.
1: Fast forward, I got sentenced to a 90-day shock probation period. And at that point in my life, I always say that that was a critical period where most people, when we see individuals getting sent to prison, we think that that's going to change that person. But for me, that 90 days was based upon military boot camp, push-ups, jumping jacks, running, and never any counseling to ask the question, like, what happened that led you to this behavior choice, drugs, and doing all of this stuff, dropping out of school. Fast forward 18 months later, I'm now arrested for murder, for killing someone over a drug dispute.
0: On Christmas Eve, 1991, Lester got into a drug dispute with 29-year-old Gary Goldinger, Jr., and fired a gun twice inside Goldinger's car. One of the bullets fatally struck Goldinger in the chest. An autopsy would later reveal that Gary died as a result of a massive internal hemorrhaging as a result of the bullet. He was pronounced dead at 12.30 a.m. on Christmas Day. It would be the last time his father, Gary Goldinger Sr., would celebrate Christmas. Lester was arrested two days later. In April of the following year, after a two day long trial, Lester was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years. But now he was in jail, he had to get his bearings. But that didn't come easy because now he was dealing with a trifecta of guilt and there was no one to pull him back from the edge of darkness.
1: I started Path to Redemption um, while I was serving time in prison. Cause going back again, after I got sentenced to life in prison, um, I still felt the same way I felt 17, at an age 17 years old. I now got sentenced never really helping me understand like what was the things that led to this and how could I correct it. You know, again, many people in our society see that, oh, prison is this place where we just send people and they get rehabilitated. That's not the truth about prison. Prison is just a warehouse where they just house bodies and they never really help people begin to address or understand the trauma that led to their incarceration and help them begin this process of healing and rehabilitating. The rehabilitation. So for me, for the first couple of years of my incarceration, man, I was in a fog. I didn't know what to do. Now I'm dealing with the guilt of my mother. Now I'm dealing with the guilt that I killed someone over some drugs. And then I'm dealing with the fact that I may die in prison. I had a 3% chance of ever getting out of prison again.
0: And as he sat there in his cell, his cellmate just a few feet away, and he begged for God's forgiveness, God's response proposed something that was a little less than conventional, but just as powerful
1: try to figure this thing out. I try to figure it out through the assistance of prison chaplains, a couple of homeboys who have been in prison for a long period of time and actually gotten some sense of self-awareness and they were passing me books and giving me some help to help me process it when the prison counselors and social workers was just there collecting a paycheck, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And not really concerned about the well-being not only of me, but so many other young people sitting in the prison idle and wrestling with this fact of all of the issues that they were dealing with. So Path to Redemption started uh, maybe about five years into my incarceration. And I labeled that because I was in search for redemption after my uh, prison sentence. It was like this person's spirit came into my room and I and I spoke to the spirit of that person and I apologized. I made amends and I promised. I'm like, yo, what I did was completely wrong. You know what I'm saying? And would you like, you know, you speak into that person, that spiritual sense. And that's when I made that promise to his spirit. Like I would live my life differently for the rest of my life until I die. I will honor you. I will respect you. I would no longer be.
0: And it changed him. In every way that a person can be changed. It changed every fiber of his being.
1: Started like walking differently. I had a like that load that I was carrying all those years finally was lifted because I made amends with the spirit of the person. And that's why I said that I'm living a life of redemption now because everything that I do going forward from that night to this day, until I go into the grave, it's in a manner of respecting and honoring the person I took off this earth. Like everything I do, it's not about me. It's about the promise I made to Gary in my prison cell, to his family and to my family, that I'm gonna live my life in this way. So yes, I have found redemption.
0: And redemption wasn't just about getting forgiveness from the man whose life he took, but it was also about getting forgiveness from this man's family. I started
1: writing letters to that family 10 years before I was released from prison. I could not send the letters to them, but I'm showing, share with you and your audience that the power of forgiveness is sometimes you have to activate and you have to release it. So me, being that I could not physically tell them what I felt and how I was feeling, I began writing and then praying for it. I would pray for that person, his family. I would pray for them every day, man, and never expecting anything in return.
0: On May 15, 2014, After serving nearly 22 and a half years in prison, Lester was released on parole.
1: In the family, by the grace of God, he had changed the hearts of this family many years ago. They were not in opposition to me the first time I went up for parole nor were they in opposition to me. The second time God trans- changed their heart to a point where they did not oppose me. So because of the work that I did and the things that I have established in relationships inside and on the outside of prison, they gave me the second chance to walk out of prison, which was a very rare situation, but I always attach it to when I tell individuals when I go back into the prison, I tell them that you have to begin to do this inner work. You know what I'm saying? Whatever that belief is that you have, this is how you activate certain things in your life. And me, I had to activate that spirit of forgiveness. And I believe that that's what it
0: is. And then something most unexpected happened.
1: So when I got out, a year later, I was in Hilton Head Island teaching a class. And the guy's family reached out to me and they wanted to, like, meet me. And I was, like, a little bit
0: The family of Gary Goldinger Jr. wanted to meet Lester in person. More on this after the break. Brooks here with the Books with Brooks Monthly Book Club Podcast. Here's how Books with Brooks works. We read one book a month and then we talk about it. Classics like Stephen King's The Shining, debut novels like We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang, and tons of other compelling, life-changing stories, one book and one month at a time. So come read along with us and then listen in.
1: Want to hear more about your favorite TV shows and movies that are on countless streaming services? Then listen to Up Next with your new favorite hosts, me, Kristen Aviles. And
0: me, Christina Walter. Every other week, we'll highlight one genre, but two movies or TV shows, one old and one new.
1: We'll let you know what's hot and what's not from your favorite or least favorite streaming services. And be sure to stay tuned to the end of each episode where we shout out an artist whose name you should know for their talent in the industry. So follow us to stay up to date with your favorite hosts from Up Next. A part of the Press Play Podcast Network.
0: Part 2 restorative justice.
1: So when I got out a year later, I was in Hilton Head Island teaching a class and the guy's family reached out to me and they wanted to like meet me. And I was like a little reluctant to that because of my parole stipulations, but they came to this event anyway, and they heard me speak. They they heard my passion, heard my story and heard how I, I lifted up their brother's spirit in the conversation. One of the sisters came to me after after the talk and she hugged me. You know, and from where I came from, where I come from, you hug me. I'm looking to see if you put a knife on my back, you know what I'm saying? like. I just took your brother 20 years ago here, because I'm free, he's still not here. Like, you hug me, and you cry in my arms, and you tell me you forgive me, you know, and you're proud of me. That blew me away. Gary's
0: man. family was more than proud of Lester. They were in his corner, so much so that they supported Lester when he applied for a pardon, which he received.
1: The father of this Gary, the scary senior, heard that I was going up for a pardon, and he reached, had his son reach out to me to say, hey, whatever we can do to help you get a pardon, we will do that. We want to see you. We want to see you free of this, because we believe you have done your time. We forgive you. You both were wrong in this situation, and we have to move on from that. That was mind blowing to me as well, because of the environment where I come from. We don't live by that code of forgiveness.
0: Lester's organization has a nuclear goal, it aims to reduce recidivism through a myriad of avenues, but the overall aim is to make the reentry process as smooth as possible. For example, one thing we discussed offline was how much technology has changed and how much tech has become integrated into our everyday lives. You or I don't think twice about walking into a McDonald's or any fast food restaurant for that matter and ordering food from a kiosk. We don't think twice when we're checking out at a grocery store to self-checkout and the card reader asks us to insert our card's chip. Little things that we've grown wholly accustomed to can sometimes be non-starters and points of contention and frustration for someone who's lived on the inside for a long time.
1: I have a reentry component to it with that individual when they transition and out. When I transitioned out of prison, there was a lot of gas that wasn't in place, and that was helping me understand what is the panic attack? What is anxiety? What is depression? You know, so, and what is that place, was safe space where me as a formerly incarcerated person can come tell somebody like, yo, I'm really, messed up in my head about this life after prison. People are moving differently out here. So that's what my my program now focuses on and helping empower these individuals and the groups that I'm a part of, that is a part of my organization. These men now are husband, fathers, they're business owners, they're community servants. They're going back into the prisons with me. And we're teaching men who are inside of the prison system how to walk out of prison with a level of purpose and dignity and respect when you walk out of that environment.
0: Lester was ready to leave prison, but when he's back inside and doing a talk or teaching a class, if he's back at his old stomping grounds, he'll ask to go back and sit in his old cell. It's not about what's comfortable to him, it's about remembering where he came from. It's about showing the other guys, some of whom remember him from his time, that there is hope and freedom can be possible. Before he was released, Lester had to reconcile with the reality that his life before prison was a different life, but his actions stayed with him all those years later. He had to reconcile with the ghosts of his past that in order to move past his crime and into the new version of himself, he had to grow and change in ways that many people would find nearly impossible and he had to make peace with a guilty conscience through sheer force of will and faith in God. Lester, like many recently released inmates, decided to use his second chance for good. He decided to do something impactful. He decided that his mistake, his crime, wasn't going to be the thing that defined him. He found purpose and a cause, and he's putting in the work. He's not just talking a big game. He's walking the walk. He's putting words and actions together, and he's stirring the ashes of his old life, and it has transformed him. It's transformed his outlook on life, and he's building a better future for himself. Since being on the outside, he's authored a book, The Five Stages of Growth, to help the formerly incarcerated live a different, better, fuller life. Lester's story isn't unlike the stories of hundreds of thousands of men and women who were still doing time behind bars. Some might say Lester got lucky, but he doesn't see it that way. The chosen course of events that have him where he is now may be partially happenstance, but according to him, he is where he is because he became proactive, because he became an active participant in his own restorative justice. Lester's journey to healing continued long after he was released, and he found ultimate healing when he came face-to-face with the sister of the man whose life he took all those years ago, and she embraced him in a hug. Sometimes, we find ourselves in positions that are less becoming of who we are as people. And when that happens, it's up to us to choose our path and rewrite our own destiny. We can't stay mad at the system that's broken or one that's designed to work against us. We have to take action. We have to take steps to protect our own value and worth. If there's anything I can say I've learned from Lester's story, is that the world will be in your corner until it's not. And when it's not, you have to actively choose to participate in the saving of your own life. Because at the end of the day, you are your biggest ally, your strongest defense, and your most capable offense. And sometimes it comes down to just how willing you are to fight for yourself. My name is J.D. Hyman, and this is The Hyman Podcast. I'll see you next time. The Hyman Podcast was written, edited, and produced by myself. Share with guests Whitney Hall and Mary Louise Layton co-produce and research. Cover art and branding by Kevin Aki. The theme music was composed and produced by Jim Yosef with additional music license from Epidemic Sound. The Hyman Podcast is a production of the Press Play Podcast Network. Press Play is staffed by Chase Smith, our CEO and fearless leader. I serve as chief operating officer, and Brooks May is a chief creative officer. To learn more about the network, sponsorships, guest appearances, or if you're interested in launching your own podcast on our network, visit us on the web at www.pressplaypodcast.com. To learn more about this podcast, our mission and vision, or for sponsorship information, please visit us on the web at www.jdhyman.com.